Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, you always ask me how I'm doing, and I feel like you don't get enough opportunities to talk about how you're doing. So I'm going to give up my time. Ben, how, do, how about you tell everyone what's going on in your life? I think you got some big news that uh, recently just came out. Yeah, I accepted a, a full-time position in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, working with a healthcare company. Um, so I'll be moving out there in June. Um, and if anybody, hopefully COVID uh, is a little different at that point and, and we'll be able to meet up with people. But uh, hit me up if you want to go for a run. Uh, if you're a Charleston native, uh, show me the good spots to run. Love to meet up. I'm very excited to be headed to the beach um, and enjoying life there. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to join you not to go run, but for the beach. Um, yeah. I mean, full advantage of your new living situation. Um, but yeah, congratulations. Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll buy you out from the, uh, you know, from the insurance companies. But either way, congratulations. Ben, for all those who don't know, is like, a, not only is he, uh, you know, a great athlete, a great human being, works all the stuff for TSR, but he's also a top tier student, I think like a 4.0 student and, uh, yeah, top notch. So uh, kudos to Ben. And uh, yeah, excited for him. But again, just gives me more of a reason to go visit South Carolina now. So yeah, absolutely. My uh, fiance and I are going to be looking at apartments and we're looking at two bedroom places. So we're going to have a guest room for for anybody who wants to stop by. So uh, if you want to make the, the hike down from uh, Philly, feel free anytime. Yeah, I mean, it's it's snowing 14 inches here right now. So <laughs> So, you know, what? literally anywhere but here is is good for me, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we jump in? Um, we'll, we'll talk about uh, uh, the latest Apple podcast review we got in a sec, but um, we have a ton of action that we'll have to get through as quickly as we can. We had cross-country races going on, uh, Big Ten championships. We had um, maybe an even bigger race uh, at the Silver State Collegiate Challenge. Um, and then we had a ton of indoor action as well. Um, but before we hit all that, uh, Garrett, you want to read the latest, uh, review we got? Yes. It said, uh, I, I'm really enjoying this podcast because it's great information and just their likable personalities. I always make sure to listen to the podcast. Uh, thank you because, uh, you know, I don't know in, in pandemic times, you don't really get to, uh, anyone telling you that you, they like your personality. So <laughs> it's, uh, uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And, uh, but Hey, 107 is good. We're trying to get to the next level, though. Trying to get Absolutely. to 108, 109. Hey, could we get to 110? Probably not. But you know what? 110 by next week would be great. So, Yeah, 100%. Yeah, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. But, Garrett, like we said, we have a ton to get through. So why don't we jump in and we'll start off with the Silver State Collegiate Challenge where we had NAU and BYU going head-to-head. Um we did have Notre Dame and Washington running as well. But I think the story of the day and where we'll start is Connor Mance got the win. But freshman Nico Young, only two seconds behind him in his first collegiate cross-country race. This got our group chat buzzing. And, and maybe I'll throw some questions at you that we were talking about in there. But just instant reaction. Nico Young, second place and his first collegiate race. Um, not what I expected. Also not surprised. Um, I think, but I also think given the way that BYU performed 
I think it is now increasingly more necessary that he had run as well as he did. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a bunch of mix of emotions. It doesn't surprise me that he necessarily ran that well. Um, I just, you know, first cross country race as a collegiate running under 23 minutes on what was a very fast course from what I'm being told. It's just, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's such a tough challenge. I, I want to be surprised that he was only two seconds away from Nance, but something in the back of my mind is like, we kind of knew he was this good. Maybe. Yeah. Like, like what did he, yeah. What did, what do we expect? Uh, I looked at um, Clayson Shumway's Strava. He posted the race and I think there was like a hundred feet of elevation gain during the right. entire race. So like, yeah, super, super quick course. And the, the times definitely reflected that. Um, one thing we were asking in our, our Slack group, what is if, so if I put one and a half NCAA cross country titles, uh, as the line for Nico Young over the next, really, he has five NCAA championships if he decides to run them all because this year doesn't really count. Does he go over or under that number? Um, he goes over. I mean, five is wow. ridiculous. Yeah, he goes over because what? So he's, I don't think he wins this year, but after a performance like that, you have the next four years to win two. And I don't yep. think that's completely unreasonable. I, I think two is, is very much within the realm. Um, and, and unless barring like a freak injury or something like that, like, I, I don't know. I mean, Connor Mance is no slouch. And the fact that he's mm-hmm. already, you know, contending with him as a freshman in a year where he's, it's not going to count towards his eligibility and that he still gets to go to a national championship and get experience. That's pretty big. And I, I think that's a, a fairly significant development that, we need to keep in mind. I, I'd give him two. Are you are you not going to give him the two? Uh, I said under when we were talking about it earlier. I I just think you you look at the NCAA champions we've had since Chez and before Chez, and you see how hard it is to win more than one title. Like really good names are unable to do it, and I think we just see with uh, what Edward Cheserek did, winning three, and we're just like, oh, that's what the best NCAA runner does uh, of the gener- of his generation does. And I think he's just such a wild card and maybe young will be that kind of talent, but I just find it so hard to see young winning more than one, just because you never know someone like Wesley Kip coming in. Um, there's going to be someone like him almost every year. There's going to be another super like freshman developing in the next year or two. It- it's just, Everything has to go so well. I, I brought up Adam Goucher finishing second at NCAAs his freshman year and then not winning until his senior year. And I, I feel like there could be a lot. Like, I think we could see a lot of top five finishes from Young. Whether he gets those two titles, it's, it's so hard to say. I would have been more hesitant if this year did count towards eligibility. Right. right. But the fact that it doesn't and the fact that he pretty much and, and this is all assuming that like he doesn't go pro right yes exactly so so that you know that is kind of like thrown into the equation it's like all right well if he turns pro then this is kind of like a moot point like it's like another runner like a thing moot i don't know how long a thing is going to be in the ncaa yeah. if we're just being honest like she's so dominant she's going to be turning pro soon and i could see a similar scenario with that with nico young if he goes off and starts winning a couple of national titles in his sophomore year and there's just like okay then what's the point you know um, so I, I think given the extra year of eligibility, Nico Young can eventually win two cross country titles. Uh, I don't know if I would have been a hundred percent confident on that, but, um, yeah, I mean this, you know, this performance guy was kind of like, 
we had we, we knew like what the what the ceiling was for Nico Young. We were fairly confident uh, that he had a pretty solid floor. You know, really wasn't going to be bad by any means. Um, but the fact that you know he is on the higher end of his ceiling in terms of the potential of what he could be as a freshman is very intriguing and very exciting. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, why don't we talk about the team race a little bit? So NAU was without some of their top guys. Uh, Luis Grisalva did not run. Theo Quacks um, and Drew Bosley did not compete in this meet. And I, ultimately, one of them running likely would have made the difference. BYU took the win by five points, but um, NAU adding any of those guys, especially Grisalva, would have likely tipped the scales in their favor. With that said. I was extremely impressed by this BYU result. Four guys within the top 10. Brandon Garnica finishing sixth, um, looking extremely strong uh, for the Cougars. I I mean, BYU has struggled with their fifth spot, and I completely forgot that Elijah Armstrong was a BYU runner. Um, I'll admit that when I saw him in the results. But they do have guys like Armstrong that have the potential of closing that gap significantly. And I mean, NAU ran well, but in, in they're obviously going to add people in. But at the same time, I think what BYU did today is showing that it's going to be a little maybe closer than a lot of people are predicting. Yeah, I mean, like the fact of the matter is that like, in a smaller field of this, where it was literally only seven teams racing, mm-hmm. you know, like the idea of firepower, you know, it, it on paper, it's like, all right, well, if Luis Grijalva runs, then Northern Arizona wins. It's like, okay, sure, but you want to put that into a larger field where anything can happen. And then it's pretty much just comes down to like, Hey, who has the better fifth? Right. Um, yep. Now, Grant, you know, Grijalva and Bosley. And like, I'm still very much convinced that Northern Arizona is the better mm-hmm. team. Like I, it just is, but it is now like, it's like Northern Arizona is the favorite, but it's, they're not so much the favorite. Like they were last year where it's like, Oh, I can't imagine them losing. Like I can now very much imagine them losing. Like you told me that like Mance, Klinger, Garnica, and Shumway were all going to be all Americans. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I, I, you know, NAU is still the overwhelming favorite, but Garnica is huge. I think mm-hmm. that's a massive. I think if he keeps running like that, he at least gives BYU a chance. Um, whether or not that actually happens, who knows. But the the thing I need we need to talk about in this race is that fifth man, right? Yeah. Because for BYU, I and and maybe it's like Matt Owens, maybe it's you know uh, someone else who I'm not thinking of. But for BYU, that fifth runner, it's like if you just find a fifth, this title contention conversation changes. But they were they, they, like tenth place is your fourth score, and then twenty eighth place is your fifth score. That's not going to cut it. And, and honestly, if you actually look down the team scores. Fifth place Air Force, uh, out of the top five teams, fifth place Air Force had the best fifth runner at 22nd place. Fourth place Notre Dame had the second best fifth uh, runner at 24. Washington had the third at third place at 25. Like it went inverse order, which is fascinating to see where the top team in the field actually had the worst fifth runner of the Mm -hmm. top five teams. Yeah, and I mean, BYU certainly has a lot of options. We we mentioned Armstrong, but uh, Aiden Troutner's run pretty well um, this year, and he was their sixth guy. Um, you look at the like the JV race or whatever, um, You BYU had the top five runners in that ahead of uh, two NAU runners, so guys like Ethan Cannon, Connor Weaver, Adam Wood, 
um, guys that maybe aren't household names, but have developed through the BYU program, ran 24 flat on a, like we said, a fast course, but looks pretty good doing it. So, I, I mean, they're going to have guys that um, are available. It's just whether or not they pop as much as more consistent guys that NAU has in their locker room with Bosley coming off the bench or Theo Quacks, guys that have been really good for the last year or two. Yeah, and, and like that's just it. It's like if you're BYU right now, you don't need a like you don't need like a superstar at the fifth spot. Although right. you you might to take down <laughs> to take down NAU, but you just need someone who's like going to get you top sixty or top fifty, maybe preferably in this case. But yeah, it, it's just one of those things where it's like BYU's one away. They're one away from like realistic realistically being in the oh wait now this is a difficult conversation to have for the title. You know what I mean? Yeah, and ultimately, NAU has a much bigger margin of error. Like, we're talking with BYU. Their top four has to be their top four, pretty much. And they, right. they have to be really good. But, um, yeah, I think that is you're, – you're absolutely right that it'll be uh, – it is closer than we thought it was going to be last year um, coming into the national meet. But why don't we talk about some of the other teams in this race? Uh, Washington, the Huskies looked pretty strong. They looked better than um, they did last year. Um, Talon Hall looked uh, much better, finishing third in a very strong field. Notre Dame with a little bit of an off day, finishing behind them. And then Air Force uh, with a small upset, beating Weber State. Um, I, I think there was a lot to talk about um, in this race, but maybe give me one one uh, of your opinions out of the rest of the other teams. Notre Dame... It's such a difficult thing. It's like, I don't, I, I look at this and everyone's like, oh, Notre Dame, not as good as we thought. But it's like, okay, well, they only lost to Washington by five points. Um, Washington ran well, but they weren't amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And if I look at Notre Dame, I'd say, okay, that was just flat out bad, right? Nagus, eighth place, not good. Um, Jacobs, 23rd place, definitely not good. Josh Methner, 27th place, not good. You know, you start going down the, and like even then, like Renfrey in 16th and like Alexander 24th, Kelray in 9th is pretty solid. But ultimately, you just start going through these names. I'm just like, there are so many ways that Notre Dame can be better um, pretty much just across the board. And the, they were running that poorly and still finishing only five points away from a, from a Washington team that looks pretty good. You know, then I'm still encouraged about what we could see from them in the future. Like, I, I still don't look at these results and I, I think, okay. NC State is still better than Washington, right? Um, and may- maybe some people will disagree with that. Or at the very least, I think that the conversation between NC State and Washington is a lot closer. Um, I think they're they're fairly on the same team, maybe similar caliber. Mm-hmm. And if Notre Dame was already beating NC State at the ACC championships by, what, 15 points, then it's like, all right, can we just chalk this up to Notre Dame having a bad day? So. And it's surprising because this, like like we said, easy flat course seems to set up really well for Notre Dame, who their where their home course is a flat, easy course. You kind of would you would have thought that they would uh, adapt to that really well. But like you said, I think if Jacobs alone has a better day, you're looking at them beating Washington probably by five to ten points, um, and putting them closer to NAU than um, or, or about behind NAU where we would have expected. And so ultimately I, I think it's maybe a off day by one or two guys. And that really just skews the results overall. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, literally one guy, and we're talking about Notre Dame in a completely different light. Like, if if Jacobs is 10th, like the third guy on yeah. the team, you're cutting off, what, 13 points, and you're now looking at this team scoring 67 points, which I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that's about right. And even mm-hmm. then, I still don't think Nakus had a great day. Even then, Methner didn't have a great day. I still think, you know, they could have had guys that have stepped up and been better. So, yeah, I, I think... People are going to look at this result and kind of panic a little bit. And I think it's fair to be at least cautious after this result. But I don't think the idea that Notre Dame's all of a sudden this like, oh, they, they can't, you know, reach the podium or they can't do this. I, I'm Calm down. It's not great. But I also don't think it's, you know, it's not anything to look into. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're not as strong of a favorite to get the podium now. But yeah, I agree. The the Their ability to do that is still there. Um, <laughs> do you want to transition to the women's race real quick? Let's do it. So the BYU women um, took down Boise State and NAU in a, actually a pretty close team battle, um, which was pretty interesting. Um, but BYU without their top runner, Whitney Orton, still looking very strong and deep. Uh, Taryn O'Neill took home the win um, individually, narrowly, narrowly beating BYU's Anna Camp. Um, overall, I, I thought this was an interesting race. I thought B- Boise State looked pretty good, NAU. Both of those teams looking like top 20 caliber teams and BYU continue to show why I, I think they can get back on that podium even after losing a lot of talent from last year. Yeah, I mean, BYU looks great. Like the fact that they didn't have Whitney Orton or Sophie Laswell or, um, oh gosh, one other name who I'm just completely not thinking of off the top of my head. Um, but the fact that like they they were missing like three very important you know, very key runners there. And yet they still go two four and have enough cushion to go 10, 13, 17 in the, in the last three spots there. Like it, it's really impressive. And Halliday is a freshman. Um, Johnston's a sophomore and Martin's a freshman. And they were pretty much closing out the scoring for this team. Um, it's really impressive depth. Like there's going to be eight runners on this squad that are good enough to be in the varsity lineup. And one of them is not going to make it. And that's going to be really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I was impressed by BYU. Boise State, Northern Arizona, um, both these teams were, were impressive. And I think they were about as advertised. I think Northern Arizona is actually the better team still. If Jessa Hansen runs, I think if, if she finishes fifth in this race, we're not even, you know, if she finishes fifth and you start factoring in the displacement, like Northern Arizona is not just beating Boise State. They're like challenging BYU right. at that point too. So I think that's something to consider. Boise State was missing one or two runners, but not to the level uh, that Hanson, I think, brings to the table for, for NAU. Yeah, no, that, and that's, that's a good point. Um, we should maybe touch on Washington as well. Haley Herberg um, was fifth, um, and her teammate um, Naomi Smith was sixth, but they were without a whole lot of their top runners. Melanie Smart um, not running, and uh, Ali Shadler as well. And like we were saying about NAU, um, they could have been much, much closer to this BYU team. Yeah, I mean, I don't look at those results with any validity. I mean, it's nice to see that Herbert can be competitive in this field. It's nice to see that Naomi Smith can be competitive in this field. But just kind of like Utah, like Utah was was now three of their you know biggest and most important scores, or at least three of them. Poppy Tank ran well, and now it's nice to see her back. But you know, I'm not really putting much stock into what we saw from from Washington or Utah. Yeah, that's fair. Do we want to transition to the Big Ten Championship? Let's do it. That was fun. I enjoyed that one. 
Yes, and before we start, we I think we all complain a lot about the live streams for a lot of these races. Yes. But what the Big Ten Network did with their graphics, with their announcing, um, was it Declan Murray who was it was, color, and he was fantastic. I mean, this is how the sport grows, and I, I think you and I obviously we've talked about this before, and this is what we're trying to do with TSR is growing, helping the sport grow. And I think when you see a live stream done that well, you can not only help really well educated um, viewers like you and I enjoy the race more, but you can also bring in a new group of uh, viewers who are maybe watching their first race just to see their their uh, college run at a Big Ten championship. And I think that it's just so impressive to see what they did. And it, it was just the small things, like small little graphic things, having a guy who knew how to explain what was going on in the race. And it just gave the, the race a completely different feel. Yeah. And I won't, you know, kind of rehash everything that you just went there, but it was, it was one of those things where it, it, he brought subjective analysis to it, which is like everything that I have ever wanted in a race is like, <laughs> well, he's, it's run really hard now. I'm like, all right. So you clearly, you know, don't follow the sport at a, at a significant magnitude. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's all you want. You want someone who knows who's like. You could tell that there was excitement. You could tell there was passion. You could, you know, there was the the willingness and ability to explain the race tactics. Um, you know, their former race history. Like to be able to to have that information off the top of your head is very hard and very impressive. Yeah. So. I, I'm really kudos to the Big Ten, kudos to Declan Murray. It was some very, very – it was probably the best stream I've ever seen of a race. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, as for the results, Wisconsin took home the win with, um, I mean, almost like a half squad. Like, they, they were without a lot of their top guys, Olin Hacker, uh, Jackson Sharp, some guys – or not Jackson Sharp, J- uh, Jack Meyer, who really would have helped this team. Um, but yet they still pull out the win. Indiana was in the lead going into, I think, what was it the last K or last two K? Um, and they looked very strong at times. Um, they, I mean, the, the depth that they had, um, from like one to like their consistency, their spread was super, super, uh, impressive. Um, and then Purdue and Michigan state tied for third with Purdue taking home the tiebreaker. Um, overall, I, I thought it was a very impressive race from both Wisconsin and Indiana. I think Purdue showed some stuff, but ultimately I, I think they're going to have some problems with that back end. Um, and then Michigan state, I think a, a solid performance from them, uh, without Beetlescum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we can talk about Michigan state maybe a little bit later, but for me, this Wisconsin win is so like in theory, it's so great. Right. But and, and, and I'm not taking this away from them, especially because they didn't have Shuey Aljabali and they didn't have Jack Miser and they didn't have, um, oh gosh, Olin, Olin Hacker. Hacker. Yeah, Olin Hacker. Like, it's so impressive that they didn't have like three of their top, like projected top four, and yet they still come out with an 11 point victory over Indiana and they do it with like a bunch of underclassmen, you know, like Rowan El- Ellenberg in third, like Charlie Wheeler in six. I know Jackson Sharp was in fourth there. Like, Charlie Weir and, and Rowan Ellenberg, I would have never thought about those guys as, as potential scorers for Wisconsin. The fact that they're finishing third and sixth, the Big Ten Championship, says a lot. Um, that said, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Wisconsin because I think they clearly have improved their stock. But without Michigan in this race, I think it's a bit difficult 
to know just how impressive this win was, right? Because Indiana, it's just like, whoa, wait, then how how good is Indiana then? You know, because like when we still don't really know that because like we we had concerns, but then are they that much better? But if the Wisconsin, you know, if they run, you know, Hacker and Aljabali and Miser and they blow Indiana out of the water, are we that much more impressed by Indiana? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's a tough balance where I'm like, I think we needed Michigan in here to give us a better understanding of where these teams fit in in the national picture. Um, just because there's, there's still so many unknowns and I still don't have a great basis of where some of these teams are. I think Wisconsin, Indiana absolutely improved their stock. Like Indiana was incredible. They had three guys had the race of their lives and I would have never picked those three guys to have the race of their lives on the same day. Um, but it is, I just think, it, it is difficult given the lineup that Wisconsin ran to know just how good they are and consequently how good Indiana is in that case. Yeah, I think what this race really showed is that Wisconsin's depth is maybe better than we expected. We had a few guys circled um, that I think were maybe in our honorable mentions that we thought could be that All-American kind of low stick uh, available for them. But we didn't really see them going like, having real good scoring options at the five, six, seven, eight position. And I mean, after this result, without three of their top guys, like you mentioned, they, they are one of the deepest teams. It would seem um, going into this year. And, and while I don't know if that puts them in our top 10 discussion, maybe it does. Um, but it, like you said, it's just so hard to gauge them against anybody else. Um, but the depth looks, looks like it's real because, um, even, even if it's against teams that we don't know a whole lot about the fact that they were able to replace a lot of their top scoring options really well, I think is, is a good, good sign. Yeah. I mean, they have a guy named Rowan Ellenberg who's finishing third. I have never once mentioned Rowan Ellenberg. I'm sorry. Charlie Wheeler finishing six. Like I've never mentioned those guys and the fact that they're finishing third and six at the big 10 championships against a, a respectable individual field. Like if I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think the big 10 field was a little thin in terms of overall mm-hmm. firepower, but generally speaking, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a really good field. So Kudos to Wisconsin. Um, I think their stock absolutely improves. I think, I think you're right. I think they flirt with a top ten kind of deal. I don't know if they're quite there yet, but I think they're at least around that conversation uh, right now. But and kudos to Indiana as well. Like I just, I was not high on Indiana. I had concerns. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think Kyle Mal, losing Kyle Mal is a massive scoring piece. Bryce Millar, you lose the back end scoring there, and, and then to you know Dustin Horner just hasn't been all that consistent as of late. And so as a result, you know, you're just not really sure how to how to make that work. But uh, kudos to Indiana. Yeah. And then on the individual size uh, side, George Cush took home the win um, and had to hold off a hard charging Jonathan Davis, who looks very, very much back um, after struggling, I think, with injury over the last year or so. Um, and we just haven't seen him race uh, a lot. He ran a, a solo effort in the 3k last week and look strong doing that um and to challenge kush who who i think we both uh rate very highly and, and i think as someone who could finish top 10 at a national meet i think was super impressive um and, and i think shows that davis is once again an all-american threat well yeah absolutely and that was this was kind of the performance where we were like 
oh, he's back. You know, he's yeah. finally back. Like he had that, th- he had that three K earlier in the season. We're like, oh, nice performance, but it wasn't enough for me to go like, oh, this guy, you know, he's going to challenge, you know, George Kusha at the end of the race. So it's one of those deals where it's nice to see him back. Do I think he's going to return to the three fifty six converted or the? Gosh, the 749 performances that he was hitting in 2018? No, but I do think that he can at least put himself in the All-American conversation across country, um, which is huge. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, why, why don't we talk about the women? Uh, Michigan State, I think, was the big story in this race. Uh, just absolutely dominating the team race, um, winning by, uh, what, 28 points against Min- a good Minnesota team. Um, Bethany Hawes taking home the win over Bailey Hertenstein and another very exciting finish um, as they went neck and neck down uh, towards the end of the race. Um, you you mentioned um, how the, the race kind of played out right at the end. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so you have Hertenstein and Haas kind of going at it at the end. They break away from the rest of the field. And looks like Hertenstein's kind of breaking away in that final straight. Looks like she has an edge. Haas definitely not giving up. She's hard charging. She's trying to make up the ground. She's definitely not giving up on just giving Hertenstein the win. And you, she starts closing and closing and closing until like the, about the last 20 meters where Hertenstein hits, hits, a, hits a ridge, I don't know, stumbles a little bit. And just gives Haas enough to get by her and takes the win by, I think, a second or two. So I question whether or not I, – I, I still think Haas wins that regardless of Hernstein stumbling. Um, but it was a, a just a, such a dramatic, like, you know, I didn't know who I was cheering for. I wasn't cheering for. I was just cheering for a great race, and I think we got that. But what a dramatic way to to end the race. Um, and that ultimately, I, I think regardless of whether Hernstein stumbles and win or Hernstein stumbles and doesn't win, regardless of what happens, I don't think it takes away from the fact that both of these women are truly one of the, some of the top you know distance runners in the country and that they're both going to be comfortable All-Americans. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from a, the team perspective, I mean, Michigan State, uh, Jenna Magnus, India Johnson leading them with third and fourth place finishes. Um, and, and just looking so strong one through five. Um, obviously, we, we believe in Minnesota. Um, Illinois, I think, had a strong performance as well um, to just dominate the field. I, I mean, where do you see Michigan State now after this? Obviously, we're, we're talking about the Big Ten again without Michigan, so it is hard on the women's side as well to figure out where these teams actually stack up. But after that performance, the Spartans have to be moving up in our rankings. Yeah, I, I think they. So the I think they get a little bit of a bump, um, but they were tenth, right? Mm-hmm. They were tenth in our rankings. So now I think we just kind of have to reevaluate. It's like okay, convincing win over Minnesota, convincing win over Illinois, Wisconsin didn't have their best day, and we'll talk about them maybe. Mm-hmm. But it is. I, I I don't I just don't know right I think it's another one of those things where yeah. it's like Michigan would have given us a little bit of a better perspective there. Um, do I think Michigan State improves? Yes, but am I ready to say that they're in the podium conversation? And I don't know if I'm quite there yet, right? Just because it's like I don't know who they have really raced. I mean, you could say the same thing about like BYU, but you know, have they who have they raced yet that would also be considered like a top ten team? 
And maybe some people think Minnesota's that team. I don't mm-hmm. think Minnesota's that team right now. I think they have potential to be much better. I don't like they didn't have their best day. Like Anastasia Korzanowski didn't have her her best race ever. Megan Haas is just not at one hundred percent yet. But if this team runs, everyone runs their best on the same day, then yeah, this is a much more impressive win. It's just the difference is that Minnesota's not at their best for when when they will be. So I think Michigan State was a good pick at to have it ranked number 10. How much better do they get from 10? I don't know. They do get better. I just don't know how much yet. And I would say maybe two or three spots, but it's it's difficult to say just because we I don't I wasn't expecting their back end to be as strong as it was. Mm-hmm. I also wasn't expecting Lindsey Graham to be back because Tifers is the worst and suggested that she was out of eligibility. <laughs> but but I, I guess I'm just curious like what that depth looks like in different fields and in other larger fields. Um, but so far, so good. I mean, you right now, there was nothing bad to say about Michigan State. They are very, very strong. Well, you mentioned uh, Wisconsin earlier, so let's let's highlight them. Obviously not their best performance. Um, Brogan McDougal, though, her first rate, her first Big Ten championship since transferring into the program, seventh place finish. I think validating a lot of the things that we we had said about her, and and she looks like she'll be a strong low stick uh, for the Badgers moving forward. But the rest of the team, it it, w- it was just surprising to see a Wisconsin team not have great depth um, like they did on the men's side. Yeah, it was it was odd, and you know it's one of those things where you kind of look through the results and you're just kind of like, okay, wait. Alyssa um, Alyssa Nygman, uh did not run well. She had a she had a not so great race. Utah transfer Scarlett Dale uh, did not have a great race either. She was far back in the results. Lucinda Crouch didn't even race. I think she was thirteenth at the Big Ten Championships last year, and I would argue that that championship was better than this one. So overall, it is. I, I think Wisconsin sixth place not great, but there's so many factors. You look at this; it's just like two of their topics, you know, tops supposed scores didn't run well and you've, you're missing the other one and that's pretty much uh, almost all of your lineup so for me I, I you know I'm not I'm not looking at Wisconsin like significantly worse I mean obviously they get a bump down the rankings but with a sixth place finish and no other cross country meets on their schedule mm-hmm. like we're we're not going to see this team again and that same thing goes for probably like the michigan state men i don't know about the purdue men maybe i mean I, I, but they're probably done like ohio state women are probably done um indiana women in fourth they're probably done when you get start getting to the third place teams it gets a little tricky but yeah it's like i i don't think we're going to be seeing i don't i don't know if we're going to be seeing a lot of these teams yeah, that's a good point. I mean, obviously, Michigan got that exemption to run another cross-country race uh, post-Big uh, Ten Championships because they were unable to compete. So they're they're going to be able to improve their stock before uh, the committee decides on the national, um, what teams qualify for the national meet. But yeah, this is a tough, it's tough in a year when everything comes down to one race for a lot of these teams. And if you don't succeed or or run at your top gear, I mean, like you said, we might just not see you again till the fall. Yeah. Which is weird. It's weird. Like where some of these top teams, I'm just like, I I don't know if we're going to see you this winter. So yeah, weird. I mean, and that does open up though. I mean, depending on which teams go and who runs and who doesn't, it does open up the indoor national meet for select individuals to pursue that as well. So 
Yeah, that's a good point. And why don't we transition um, to the indoor results? Um, and that's a good segue. We'll, we'll start the show uh, with the indoor results like we have the last few weeks. Christian Noble, another D2 record, this time in the 3K, running 751, paced by none other than Nick Willis, which I, I thought was a cool, cool moment, um, and had his 5K record validated. Um, because there was some controversy because they were using the um, light technology to for pacing um, around the track and the NCAA was being the NCAA um, and being a little dumb about it. But a uh, record eventually was validated. So good for him. Um, and that'll be a qualifying mark for nationals for him. There really isn't much more to say about Noble. He's just been on an absolute tear. Yeah, he's awesome. And the idea that, you know, we were like the... Like, like, listen, if, if it's in the rules, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I agree with the rule, but I, I heard about this and I'm like, oh, I don't think he's going to get that record approved. You know, whether or not that's right or wrong, you know, I don't know, but um, I didn't think he was going to get it approved. And um, I'm just happy that he gets the qualifying time. Cause like, it, it is a bit ridiculous. Like the guy obviously ran the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so happy that he got it out of the way. He's clearly talented enough to have the record. Like it's not even a question. And the fact that he just went out there and he's like, okay, fine. I can do the three K two. And he just, yeah. and he went to do that. Like it's, it's fairly ridiculous when he can just call his shot and, and take his selection of which records he wants to have. So he's been phenomenal. Yeah. He, he, he's just on a different level right now. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of records, the DMR record just got obliterated this past weekend by Oregon beating their own record by five seconds, running nine nineteen. Cole Hawker running two forty nine for the twelve hundred. Uh, Luis Peralta running forty seven for the four hundred. Charlie Hunter one forty seven in the eight hundred. And Tier Cooper Tier bringing it home with three fifty four. And, and the scary thing is, you look at all these times and all these splits for these guys, and you are like, yeah, that's that's about <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, Hawker maybe two forty nine. You are like, yeah, that's that that maybe a little quicker than we expected, but it's like, uh, I'm looking at these. I'm like, so why was the record only nine nineteen? I I mean, it's, it's just not shocking the way these guys have been running that they ran the, these splits. You're absolutely took the words right out of my mouth. Like, I don't know what more I need to ask, like, you know, essay right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, I kind of went through these. I'm like, yeah, Hawker, that was a little more on the quicker side, but Peralta 47. Yeah. Hunter 147, yeah. Cooper Tier 354, yeah, that's cooking, but also totally reasonable for a guy of his caliber. So I, I'm like, I it, like it was fast. Like everyone runs well. Like it's it's rare when everyone runs well in the same mm-hmm. day. I guess that's half the battle. But I'm with you. I kind of went through this. I was like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And the fact is that that Reed Brown ran 356 in the mile the <laughs> next day. Reed Brown's a 356 miler, yet he can't even get on the A varsity DMR. I I mean that that's depth in the DMR if, if I've ever seen it. Like when you have a guy sitting on the bench that's a 356 guy, I, I mean it's it's mind blowing. It's it's pretty absurd. Like the idea that like I don't even know like it's Cole Hawker. So like Cole Hawker's recent rise, right? How fast yeah. do we think he could run a mile right now? Probably 356. Yeah, at least around there. Yeah. Probably 356. Like, is Reed Brown at 356 like the the fourth fastest miler on his team potentially, which is crazy because Hunter ran at 354. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's just so absurd. And technically, 
I think James West is coming back for the spring track season. So he might be the oh fifth. Oh my God. Best. Yeah. It's like, it's like this guy, like I could shout out to Ray Brown, man. I, I mean, the guy runs three fifty six, and he's like not even the top three or four or five or he's top five of his roster. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, what Oregon's doing right now in the middle distances, like in the miles specifically is something that we haven't quite seen. I think for a while, just the, the having three or four guys like you mentioned in that 355 range it, i mean or the ability to do so it, i mean it's just incredible and i think they're gonna show at the indoor national championship meet really how dominant they are they didn't really get the chance to do that last year with the indoor meet being canceled um but it, it does make you wonder if they're if we're really gonna see them on the cross course much when they're just tearing up the indoor circuit as well as they are yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's uh, it, it's some strong. It, it, I just every year I'm so much more impressed by what Ben Thomas has done. Yeah. And maybe I'm biased because I've had conversations with him when I was you are at biased. Tech. I'm super biased. I'm a thousand percent biased, even though he he totally rejected me from that VT team. I'm just like, yeah, but I spoke to him. You know what? It's to reject a kid. Didn't try to run for that walkout spot just to not do well enough at all. Um, but no, I I am super biased. But it is. I've I've seen I, I've seen those guys run in person and just it is they just run with such such more control and strength than I have ever seen any middle distance runner run and it's mm-hmm. really really impressive and I I just think like it's it happened at VT you're seeing it at at Oregon now I, I don't know what else there really is to say about it. So some other quick results in the DMR, Iowa State ran 927. Um, one leg I wanted to highlight was 249, 1200 leg uh, for Gomez, um, who after running 147 in the 800, to come back and, and to have the strength to run 249 in the, the 1200, I mentioned this before we started, I think it really validates that 147 and, and puts him as a bigger part of that 800 conversation maybe than he was before in my opinion just because he's has had two really good races now and has the strength to go along with that speed um and i think he's certainly going to be one to watch in the 800 and who knows maybe even the mile too um but i i thought that 249 was a statement uh split for gomez yeah, everyone was super distracted by what Hawker split, and they're like, oh, Hawker, and, and don't get me wrong, Hawker's awesome, he's great, they ran super well, kudos to him, but I was like, I'm I'm fairly confident Jason Gomez was the was the top speed. Yeah. Like I'm 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 looking at this now. He was. It was like, yeah, he was. He was the he was the fastest guy. So like and, and Jason Gomez is if he's not a sophomore, he's a junior then. And it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've given this guy some credit. 147 in a breakout race, and now all of a sudden he's, you know, he's he's beating Cole Hawker on a 1200 leg with a 249 split. Yeah, I would argue that he he would maybe he probably had the most underrated weekend of anyone in the NCAA. Yeah, absolutely. Ole Miss uh, was also in that race. They ran 930, solid result for them. But um, the Ducks, I mean, continue to tear it up uh, at Arkansas. They uh, tier ran seven forty six, as did Hawker, um, and then uh, Charlie Hunter and Reed Brown, as we mentioned, ran three fifty four and three fifty six. Um, just looking outstanding um, across the board. Coming back after running really fast, obviously in the DMR, which makes it all the more impressive. Um, 
but also in the 3K, we saw Wesley Kip 2 and Mario Garcia Romo run 7:48. The breakout stars, uh, if you will, from the last from last fall, really looked like they belonged on the indoor track, uh, national like with these national caliber runners. Um, yeah, overall, I think for tier, I kind of looked at it 7:46, and I'm kind of like, yeah, it's about right. That's that seems to be on par with expectations. Um, and then in just in terms of Hawker, I mean, it's like, okay, that guy is really the real deal, right? It's one yeah. thing to run 3K in a controlled environment in a time trial on an outdoor track, but then to run 746 and, and stick right behind Cooper Tier, it's like, I, I question, and maybe this is, you know, maybe a little bit too aggressive, but like, should, should we start considering Cole Hawker to be in a national title conversation somewhere? Because like, I don't know if it's the 3K, the five, like maybe the 5K, but mm-hmm. I, I don't like, is it crazy to suggest that he should be in the national title conversation yet? No, I mean, I kind of petition or I was trying to say that Hawker had the best weekend of any duck just because I thought he raised his stock the most. I, I think Cooper Tier ran the best last week, this past weekend, but I don't think we learned a whole lot about Tier uh, during these races. I think with Hawker, we, we are putting him almost in that tier conversation at this point because he's just been right behind him in all these uh, situations. Yeah, I mean, it's hard when you're just like, we're like, wow, Cooper Tier's so great. And this up-and-comer Cole Hawker is great. It's like, well, is he really much of an up-and-comer if he's pretty much yeah. just mimicking uh, like a, a lot of what Cooper Tier's doing? And maybe not to the exact extreme, but I mean, it's 746 is impressive. Um, Garcia Romo, huge, validates his breakout cross country season. Kip two seven forty eight, pretty much just a carbon copy of Edwin Kurgat at this point. Like, I mean, yeah. I just they're they're pretty much the same runner, dominant in cross country, probably better suited for the longer distances like the five k and ten k, and yet can still put on the wheels and run sub seven fifteen to three k. Like, it's just a carbon copy of Edwin Kurgat. And the crazier thing is that Kurgat's back in the spring, and they're going to have literally pretty much the same two of the same caliber like NCAA championship type runners in Kip two and Kurgot running in the spring. Yeah. They, I, I thought Garcia Romo um, like Hawker really raised his stock this past weekend. Um, he was someone that I, I, I believed in as like a threat to do really well in the three K. And I, I think um, he really proved that in this, this past weekend. Um, another re- result that we should quickly mention Everett Smolders of Ole Miss ran 358, uh, finishing right behind the the Oregon duo in the mile. Um, the the Rebels just keep producing these great middle distance runners in the 800 and the the mile. Uh, and, and Smolders is the latest one. He, he's a little bit older, um, but I mean he's blossoming at the right time. Yeah, I mean he's great. He's run the 148 in the Vanderbilt Invitational. He's he's had some past experience running in tactical kind of regional championships in the fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. There, um, I, I think he's quietly a really great piece, um, you know, in kind of this grand scheme of things. Now Hunter ran three fifty four, Brown ran three fifty six. Like if you're really yeah. you know, the the mile's still going to be fairly competitive this year. Um, like you know the the mile right now, if if we're talking about title favorites, like. Uh, right now, I don't know if Hunter can be considered anything else but the title favorite. But yeah, Smolders well, right now. Well, okay, and that's that's fair right now. But are we like is Notre Dame even really going to be right. like running on the indoor oval at this point? So I just you know, obviously there's like guys like Rajalva and guys like Nagus who could certainly put their names you know on the indoor track. But like 
in, just in terms of the national title race, like I think Hunter has to be put himself in there, but Smolders has been, you know, he's, he's displayed some, you know, the ability to run fast times on a consistent basis. He's shown, you know, some exciting speed and, and he has experience. And, and frankly, that's all you need. And he's trending in the right direction. He's, he's shown off some range and yeah, it, it's hard to kind of just like what he's bringing to the table right now. All right, well, let's wrap. We got a lot of, um, on the women's side, we had a lot of fast times run, so we'll quickly go through that before we finish up. Uh, Katie Izzo and Lauren Gregory had a weekend, uh, 15.36 in the 5K, and then also running, uh, Katie Izzo ran 4.37, Gregory 4.35 in the mile. Uh, times that would pretty much qualify you for the national meet in any year, but especially this year, um, they punched their ticket, and, and I mean, it's hard to argue that any other duo is looking as primed and ready as them going into March. Yeah, this was kind of like a weird race where it was like Izzo's best race was the 5K, but she hadn't been running as strong this season as right. Gregory had. Whereas Gregory has kind of been looking like her 2018 form and this kind of weekend validated it running 1536, 435. Like I think she has a legitimate argument of being one of, if not the top distance runner for indoor track so far this season. I mean, she's just been flat out incredible. What she brings to the table in terms of range, in terms of progression, consistency, all that jazz. Um, But generally speaking, like Izzo, this is about what I expected from her. Gregory, we've seen it before, but it's now just a matter of like, okay, now she's actually doing it again. So um, kudos to this, kudos to those women. It feels like I'm just saying the same things every weekend when talking about the Arkansas <laughs> women of just like how incredible they are. Yeah, absolutely. And then we had a few more quick miles. Uh, Courtney Wayman ran 435, Olivia Hoge running 437, and Ali Shadler running 438. Um, I, don't, I don't think any of these results are super surprising, but again, I, I mean, these are top times that put all of these women in that national all American kind of picture. Oh, see, I disagree. I think Wayman's four thirty five was stunning. Like I, I was not expecting her to run anything, uh, anything close to that fast. Right. I mean, I'm trying mm-hmm. to think about what, what she's previously done in the mile and I don't, yeah, I'm looking at her resume now. She's never run an indoor mile before. So the fact that she ran a four thirty five is right. Fairly crazy. Uh, I guess fact, it's her- just the talent is like, like she's shown, I think over the, the last uh, year or so, that the talent is there and I guess the, the opportunity and she took it maybe in a better way than we would have ever expected right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she just, she was just so much better in such in just such an instant impactful way. Not only does she beat Olivia Hodge and not only does she run four thirty five, but she also beats a really talented name in Adley Shadler who didn't mm-hmm. have her best race, but also not terrible. So I just think like, if you want to talk about like massive big time performances, Wayman, Wayman's 435 to me was like, uh, oh my gosh, is she going to be the like a like Whitney Orton light of last year? Yeah, I, I mean that's certainly the it could be a possibility. Whitney Orton not running uh, this weekend at uh, the cross country meet or on the indoor track leaves me a little worried. Obviously, yeah. she's had yeah. some injury his, history in the past. Hopefully, that this is just she's skipping the weekend. Um, and we'll see her soon, but that that's something to monitor. Yeah, that's a great point. Didn't consider that, but she does have a history of injury. We don't have a reason to believe that she's injured right now, other than just p- missing this past weekend. So we're not we're not reporting anything, but <laughs> just I, I trust me, we've been there before. But speculation. Um, yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, you said this." I'm like, "That's not what we said." Go back and look. But yeah, anyways, it's uh, 
yeah. So who knows? I, I do hope that she's ready to go though. Uh, so. All right. And in the 800, we, I think we have uh, a thing moves uh challenger for the 800. Now Sage Herta running two Oh two looking like she is back in peak form. Um, and really, I, I think she has to be considered uh, the top dog to take down Mo, who has just separated herself in a lot of ways in the 800 so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had talked about Michael mentioned in our group chat how, you know, Herta could be the main challenger. I'm like, Damn, Michael, come on, man. Like she hasn't even <laughs> run yet. Like we haven't seen her in like months and months on end. Like you want to talk about, you know, people not racing in you know, for so long due to the pandemic, Herta's been out for much longer than that. And it's kind of one of those deals where it's like, I don't think she's been on the track since the summer of 2019 when she ran unattached. So, so for her to not only just run 202 and emerge as a title contender, but to run 202 after, you know, being well off from racing from over, well over a year is, it, it's scary. And I'm thinking, okay, if that was a rust buster, what else does she have in store? She led that race wire to wire in a tactical race. You know, maybe things get crowded and it's competitive. Herta maybe could challenge Moo. And I'm not ready to give up Moo as the national title favorite yet, but Herta certainly made a statement. Yeah, yeah. She she put herself in the conversation, which I, yeah. I think is about as good as you can do in, in one race um, and, and a rust buster at that. Um, and then finally, we saw uh, Ellie Hennes put together a really strong double um, running 15:49 in the 5K and 9:03 in the 3K, her uh, teammate Hannah Steelman ran 15:47 in the 5K as well. Um, I I think uh we we kind of were we could have seen this coming from both of them in the 5K. I think Hannah's running 9:03 in the 3K was really impressive. Um, and I think shows her versatility in these longer distances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just both of them are, I I've been a fan of both of them for such a long time. I think Hennis hasn't always gotten her credit for being one of the top distance runners in yeah. the country and for her to run 1549 and 903, not just in the same weekend, not just in the same meet, but within like a couple hours yeah. of each other. Like I, I saw her in the entries for, I, th- I think it was like a three K or five K and I was like, oh, she's just pacing that one because she already ran the other race beforehand. No, 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 no. She ran 903-1549 within a couple hours. That's stupid impressive. And that's really, really cool stuff. And then Hannah Steelman, of course, 1547. That, you know, I don't have anything more to say about that. That's a great time. She ran super fast. Doesn't totally surprise me. Um, they're both studs. They're both studs. And they're the reason, well, Hannah Steelman will be a big reason why. And, you know, NC State will be in the national title conversation for cross country. But man, Hennis, Hennis might be in the conversation to win a national title on the indoor oval this year. I, I do think that's possible, especially after that double. Yeah, I mean, it bodes well for her at the national title at the national meet when she's going to have like almost 24 hours between the 5K and 3K to really recover um, and, and to give both a really good shot. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a good person to keep an eye on. Um, but Garrett, I mean. Feel like I need to take a deep breath. We we went 55 <laughs> minutes strong right in a row of just nonstop results. We knew that the double season was coming, but man, it it's just incredible how quick all the meets keep coming. I I'm just exhausted just when I look at my laptop. I open up my laptop and I'm instantly out of breath just by like closing every tab that we have for these <laughs> results. Man, it's 
you know, we're well, we're almost at the hour mark of this podcast. When was the last time we had an hour long podcast? So, um, and it could have been an hour and a half. Like we we had oh, to keep yeah. things moving. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we talked beforehand. We were just like, oh no, it's going to be one of those podcasts, huh? But um, yeah, man, I was, I mean, a heck of a weekend. Uh, I think things will quiet down for a little bit, at least for the next couple weeks. But yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. We've still got a ton going on. Obviously, more indoor track races to come. We've got uh, the Florida State XC Invitational on Friday. Uh, we might be doing a little bit of updated rankings, maybe at least for D two. I think we will. Maybe D one. You know, I'm not sure yet. Um, just for any of our readers, uh, we we might be just taking a day off. Uh, maybe a Saturday. I'm not sure yet. Um, but I think we've been, we haven't stopped posting content since the past what 20 days i'm not sure i forget yeah. what the, this week is so um but we'll take it we'll, we'll take all we can get so um yeah man well, a, a lot of exciting stuff coming up we've got plenty on the site and uh, i'm sure we'll have you know more conversations such as these in the future yeah absolutely well garrett until next week when we have even more results to look at i'll talk to you i'll talk to you